Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Inside the Coach's Office. My name is Tom Murphy Jr. And as always, I'm here with Coach Brian Barnes. And today we've got um, a very special guest. We have Coach Eli Reinhardt um, from North Crowley High School out of Texas. But uh, Coach Reinhardt is um, from M M M Michigan and has a, um, a pretty significant history um, in Michigan high school football. Um, so he has been gracious enough to join us today and um, we're going to talk some football. Um, Coach Reinhardt, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Coach Barnes, how you doing today, bud? Hey man, I'm good. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to coach. I, uh, I had a chance to meet him at our uh, coaches association clinic uh, this past January in Lansing. Um, you know, he was giving a presentation and uh, good guy. Um, you know, obviously he's a, he's an offensive guy. So that's, that's a big deal to me because we all kind of stick together and uh, just fired up to talk about, talk about, talk about football and talk about coach and his career tonight. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to get started. All right. Um, so, Coach Reinhardt, um, let's start off just kind of finding out a little bit about you um, as far as how you got into coaching. And and I know that there's there's a very, um, very incredibly interesting background that you have um, by being raised in a football family um, with your father being the head coach at Montrose High School for uh 27 years I, I believe yes sir about that yeah so why don't you kind of start off there of what it was like growing up in a football family yeah absolutely um you know so um you know my dad's been in the head coach at Montrose High School for I believe it's the last 27 years I always get it mixed up but I think I got it now uh, about 27 years um, and he actually took over in 1994 for Coach uh, Tony Anise, who's the head coach of Bear State now. Um, he left in 1994 to take the Ann Arbor Pioneer head coaching job. Um, and, you know, my dad's been the head coach there ever since. You know, I was, you know, born in 1993, but I can tell you, uh, you know, growing up, I was always out at the practice field. I was always, um, you know, with my brothers, my two um, younger brothers out there at practice. You know, we'd be out there for two days, spend time in the coach's office. You know, you know, those are some of the greatest memories that I have growing up, you know, is being around my dad, being around his players, being around my brothers. Um, you know, that was, you know, an awesome experience for me and just, you know, learning so much, you know, and I think it was a kind of a natural progression for me that I always knew I wanted to be a coach. And, you know, I didn't necessarily think that I was ever going to be, you know, a big time player. Um, I think it was more I knew that one day I wanted to be, you know, a high school football coach or a college football coach. I just wanted to, you know, be a part of it, you know, watching my dad growing up and, and doing it for so long, I think, um, you know, provided me with the base of, of the knowledge that you need um, to be successful at a young age, you know, because I jumped into it, you know, kind of right away. And, you know, my dad gave me some great opportunities to, to get started. And, you know, those are, those are, you know, kind of pillars of my coaching career, but I think it all starts with, um, you know, growing up and, you know, being, you know, playing on the tackle and dummies, jumping up and down on, you know, some of the sleds and just running around. I think um, those memories and, and being around that is kind of laid a foundation um, for me and, and what this sport means to me. And I hope one day, you know, my future children can be out there with me out on practice fields and in game fields on Friday nights as well. Yeah. 
Now we've got a lot to talk about with you today. Um, so, um, but I, I kind of want to get uh, started with um, how you got into coaching at such a young age because you had some um, athletic ability, uh, you know, on um, some college um, athletic opportunity. But um, you decided to go the coaching route um, pretty early. C can you explain how that decision came about? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I actually, out of high school, you know, I signed a scholarship, a very small scholarship to go to Concordia University in Ann Arbor. Um, I think I was on one of, you know, maybe the second or the third year of the of the team um, of that university having a team. And, you know, I went through the fall and, you know, it was really, for me, I, you know, I knew that I always, like I said before, I knew I always wanted to be a coach. I didn't know how much longer I was going to be able to be a player. Um, and just going through the fall, I kind of knew that, you know, my abilities had taken me as far as they probably could take me. And I really just wanted to get started on coaching. I remember going back to watch one of my brother, my brother was a senior at the time playing for my dad, you know, going back and just like, this is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be on the sidelines on Friday night, helping, you know, coach and be a part of that. So after that fall, um, I decided to transfer back to Saginaw Valley, which was closer to home for me, about 30, 40 minutes away north, um, and decided to join the baseball team there. I was playing baseball and football at Concordia, but decided to come home and um, be a part of the baseball team there. And that allowed me the opportunity to drive home during the evening times um, and work for my dad. And I was very fortunate to, you know, jump into a very um, great situation. Uh, my dad gave me the opportunity to call plays in 2013. I was, you know, 19 years old at the time, um, you know, very young and had an opportunity to call plays for just a great group of kids. Um, that 2013 team is a, was a special team, special group of kids. Um, you know, we made it all the way to the state semifinal that year um, undefeated and, you know, unfortunately fell to an Ithaca team 21-20 went on to win the state championship game. It's still one of the games, you know, that it's kind of burned in my mind and I don't think I'll ever forget. But, um, you know, I got into football kind of through that, um, just having the opportunity. You know, I was, you know, it was a lot of travel. It was a lot of miles on my car. I think I was going, uh, you know, driving from Saginaw Valley. Um, after class would drive to Montrose and then drive back to Saginaw so I could still have a little bit of college experience but also have the opportunity to call plays and and be around you know my dad and his program and also got an opportunity to coach my younger brother as well. Coach that's um you know that that's got to feel good right when you're you're 19 years old and, and whether the head coach is your dad or not right the fact that the, the head coach has you know, confidence in you to, you know, take over that, uh, that big of a responsibility can only, you know, um, help you and give you confidence, I'm sure at that time. And then obviously at such a young age, you can, you know, you grow into your role, grow into your role even more, um, and, and learn a lot, um, which is pretty cool. So, you know, transitioning a little bit, to your offensive makeup, um, you know, I know Montrose, you know, it's funny. I talked to all my, all my Veer buddies in the area and they always talk about the Veer camp, you know, at Montrose high school, at some point, every one of my Veer buddies has made a trek out there. So are you talk to me, I guess, a little bit about how, you know, your experience with that dynamic offense, cause it's, you know, it's, it's a great scheme. And, um, how is, how has it evolved for you as you've gotten older, um, have you taken it with you to some of your other stops? Has it been kind of, 
Um, combine that with um, some of the new stuff you've learned over the years. Go ahead and just take us through a little bit of your your offensive uh, makeup and kind of the things you believe in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, growing up, you know, I played in. So my dad, um, if you don't know Montrose football, it's under center. You know, back in the day, under center, split back beer. Um, you know, one of the first teams in the state kind of running, you know, some of the inside beer midline. Um, you know, outside veer, truly out of some of the split back stuff. Um, and, you know, my dad and Coach Anise kind of made that offense, you know, what it was and the mentality of the offense and, and you know, the things they were able to accomplish over the years, just kind of running the same base plays, um, you know, over and over and over again. Um, you know, that, that offense, more than anything, I think has set kind of the mentality of, what I want our offenses to look like is just kind of the toughness, um, the ability to adjust because when you're only running a certain amount of plays in a beer style offense, you have to have a lot of different, you know, variations, adjustments, you know, things where you can, you know, keep defenses, um, you know, on their heels a little bit. And, you know, I would say, you know, when I started calling plays at 19, I look back at some of the film, you know, from time to time. And, um, you know, I just realized how unprepared I was for that moment. And I think something that I would say, you know, for younger play callers and, you know, people who are looking to move up and looking for more opportunities, you know, sometimes it's the best thing in the world for you to get told no, or, you know, the best thing in the world for you to not necessarily get those opportunities right away. Because I can tell you right now, you know, we had a lot of success, but I think in a lot of the situations, if I was in the position I was in now and had the knowledge that I have now versus what I had then, um, you know, we, we would have, you know, had a couple state championships under our belt with those kids we had running around. And um, I think it all kind of goes into, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So um, if you close your mind off to things, you'll never truly, I think, develop as a coach and, and really find some things that really fit into what you want to do. Um, you know, our system is, is a combination of that under center split back, which we haven't been under center and probably three to five years. I, I can't tell you exactly, but we haven't taken a sap on our center in a long time. Um, and then it combines with Coach Anise's offense. Um, but then, you know, the time I spent at Central Michigan University, you know, was a short stint. But um, the amount of knowledge that I learned in such a short amount of time working for Coach McElwain and Coach Barbe and Coach Cummings and Coach Thompson up there, were invaluable to my development as a coach. And I think it's, you know, when you've been in one system your entire life, that's all you really know, right? So getting outside of that system and growing your foundation of knowledge as far as football goes, I think can really develop what your system is looking like. Because, you know, we're not necessarily like, as soon as I see something, you know, in this offense, we're taking it, it's meshing it to what you want it to look like, right? And I think all of that comes back down to is, you know, what are your players good at? You know, how can you match your personnel um, with what you're trying to do offensively? So all, all that stuff is really important, um, you know, to me and, um, you know, making it fit with what you're trying to do mentality. And then also, you know, it goes into your head coach, you know, their style, what they want. You know, I put coach for a guy last year that was a little bit more ball control, wanted us to slow it down a little bit. And now I work for a head coach that's pedal to the metal. He wants us to go fast and he's a defensive guy. So he's one of those rare breed um, type guys that's not trying to slow the game down, get limited possessions for the defense to be out on the field. So, um, 
you know, that's kind of, you know, the base of everything. Like I said, a combination of those kind of three offenses. And then if you have an opportunity ever, you know, it's, it is called the Veer camp, but it really is the come and compete camp. I would say Um, the amount of state championship teams and playoff teams that have rolled through that camp, not necessarily our option teams, but our teams that really just want to compete. I mean, there's, Coach Nice will throw you in and some, you know, 11 on 11 drills against, you know, a little old Montrose High School with about 380 students. And then we look at our schedule. We're going against Muskegon High, Mona Shores, you know, Seaholm, you know, in your three days of going team, you know, those things can really, I think for small schools can really give you a reality check. And I think those sometimes are needed in the summertime. And I think it kind of refocuses and, just the amount of work that you get during those three days is, you know, was awesome. And the brotherhood of that camp is, is one of a kind. It's one of the, you know, I, I'm kind of sad and upset that I don't get to make it because we get started around that time. But it is definitely, if, if you've never been, you should at least, whether your team goes or not, it's something you should experience because it's such an awesome, it's an awesome day. One of the, uh, one of the things I did want to ask you about the Veer, you kind of already touched on, you touched on it came, you know, to the personnel, Right. So you obviously you're going to have your your base core concepts, you know, regardless of personnel. And then um, but you touched on it a little bit. Try to figure out, you know, what your kids do best and fit it into um, some, some of the other dynamics. Would you say that's pretty fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that starts with and I, I think a lot of coaches maybe are a little bit more worried about this, but. Whenever I'm beginning install and whenever we're starting a season, you know, whether it's your off-season training, I know it's a little harder in Michigan because of the, like the four-person rule or whatever the heck that is. Um, don't get me started on some of that stuff. But, um, you know, I think what I do, and I'm not scared of doing it, is I front-end load everything. So we install almost our entire offense within the first couple of days because I want to see – one, I want to see what we can retain – and then we have a basis of knowledge when we come back to it, but also at the same time, I can see what we're good at. If we don't ever, if we wait too long to practice or try it, maybe I don't want to go and sit in week five and, you know, find a play that's great for us offensively and just be like, why didn't we do this earlier? You know, I want to see what we're good at, whether that is, you know, running triple option, whether that's running, um, you know, RPOs, whether that's running, you know, different variations of the same stuff everybody's doing. I want to know what our kids are good at kind of from the get-go. And then I want to structure our offense like that. You know, I don't want to find more or new offense in the middle of the season that we may have been able to run kind of throughout the season. I think it's good to have wrinkles and variations and that will always happen, right? If you're in that kind of creative flow, but being kind of, you know, limited early on, I think happens to a lot of offenses, not saying that you need to be where your kids don't understand it because we'll install it all. And then we'll peel it back and decide what sticks, what fits. And I think that's, you know, a great way of doing, especially with high school kids, right. You may all, you know, I've coached small school football. You may only run two or three run schemes the entire year and a few handful of concepts because that's what they grasp. That's what they retain. And that's maybe all that works against the defenses that you play against, because I'll tell you what, and I'm sure you've ran into some some very funky defenses when you maybe don't have a quarterback that can throw it from maybe me to you, you know, across the room. So uh, you kind of have to adapt as a play caller of how are you going to get the numbers in your advantage or how are you at least going to get them even? 
For sure. Tom, before we transition here, this, this topic has got me a little fired up because uh, talking about Montrose football brings me back to my childhood a little bit. So one of my earliest, you know, um, high school football memories is uh, I think I want to say I just finished up my junior year of high school and I had a chance to watch Montrose for the first time uh, in a playoff game against Orchard Lake St. Mary's. And I want to say that was the fall of 1994. So I'm aging myself a little bit, but uh, you know, coach, we were talking a little bit before we got on, um, you don't necessarily remember that game, but uh, you know a lot about that game. Could you give us a little background about that one? Yeah. Um, so, you know, 1994, you know, Montrose, you know, at the time, obviously Orchard Lake has gotten significantly bigger and Montrose has gotten a lot smaller. Um, you know, back in the 90s, Montrose was a little bit bigger of a school with GM kind of booming downtown and Flint area. There were a lot more people kind of around that area. So some of the divisions and some of the matchups were a little bit different back then looking through the history books. But, you know, Montrose Orchard Lake St. Mary's was one that was actually on um, was on the books, you know, for I think the in 1993 or maybe it was in 95 they played again, but they played back to back years. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually there's a book, um, you know, it's called no quitters here. Um, and there was actually a kid, I can't remember the exact story. It's, but there was a kid from Montrose that ended up transferring to Orchard Lake St. Mary's to play in that second, you know, that rematch, um, game. But again, I'm not sure which year it was, um, as far as if it was a prequel or the sequel of that game. But, um, anyway, you know, 1994 Montrose playing Orchard Lake St. Mary's, um, you know, some very, very, very um, talented players for that Orchard Lake uh, team. Um, And, you know, it was a really close game. And, you know, Montrose had some opportunities in that. And my dad was the defensive coordinator at the time. And, you know, going against kind of a star-studded roster of Orchard Lake. And, you know, Montrose was kind of, um, you know, a combination of just, you know, great glue guys, great team guys, you know, going, you know, head-to-head with a – you know, a state power. It was a, it was an awesome game and actually, you know, had a great opportunity, you know, recruiting, um, you know, going into Orchard Lake St. Mary's high school, you know, I called my dad, and, you know, I, when I was recruiting, I would call him all the time and he would just ask where I was going, what schools, you know, coaches. And, you know, I actually had never been to St. Mary's before and got an opportunity to meet coach Porritt. And, you know, my dad said, you know, you need to ask him about, uh, you know, playing Montrose and, you know, Coach Port kind of lit up and um, he knew exactly what he was, you know, what I was talking about and kind of the memories of it all and kind of how tough of a game and how tough of a team that was. And, you know, those were, you know, some great kind of rivalries created through those playoff games. And, you know, Coach Anise remembers those well, um, you know, as well. You know, he's he talks about those games every every time my dad and him get together, they kind of reminisce of some of those times working together. And that's definitely one, um, you know, that they talk about, uh, you know, a decent amount. So if I, I'm looking at, I'm looking historically here, it's uh, November, the week of November 18th and 94, the final score was 13 to seven. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was a heck of a game. That was a heck of a game, but you don't have a good memory of that coach. Cause you were so young. You just, yeah. you just know the Lord. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's, that's cool. Uh, Coach Reinhardt, um, so I'm, I'm curious about how is it that you ended up um, in Texas? And can you kind of describe the – because 
everybody knows, you know, Texas Friday Night Lights. It's it's you know historic, basically. Um, can you talk about the the differences that you've experienced in um, Michigan high school football versus Texas high school football? And from your experience, is has it been as as crazy, uh, you know, just of the, all the atmospheres and, and all the, the way, like all the towns rally together and all the stuff, you know, just the stuff you see on TV and whatnot, or reading books, you know, um, can, can you kind of describe that? How, yeah, just the, your experience in Texas um, versus Michigan, and then kind of how you got to Texas from, you know, the state of Michigan. Yeah, so, you know, after coaching high school, so I coached for my dad for five years. Um, once I graduated high school, or excuse me, college, I decided, um, you know, I was going to try out coaching college football. So I actually spent, um, you know, five years coaching college football at various locations in Michigan. Division two was an offense coordinator, a couple of Division two schools, um, and had an opportunity to work at Central Michigan University. Um, you know, I wasn't there and, you know, didn't make it to a fall there. Um, I ended up show, like getting there in spring and didn't make it quite towards the fall. And um, I actually ended up down there, you know, our offense coordinator there, Coach Barbe, who's now actually the offense coordinator at Mississippi State. Um, he kind of a, it maybe not, you know, on purpose brought it to my attention, just kind of, you know, what it's like to be down there and hearing the stories and hearing about all of it. And so I got interested and really it was kind of a crazy process. You know, I wasn't necessarily looking to leave, but I was kind of looking in some of the, you know, the association, the THSCA um, is the, basically the, the Michigan Coaches Association, but in Texas, um, they have a website where they kind of post all their openings and you know, I was just kind of looking and seeing and, you know, I was like, maybe I'll just email this place and, you know, see what happens. And, well, you know, I happened to be, you know, I think I did that in the morning when we were on summer. I was on my week off, you know, at Central Michigan in the summer. We kind of took weeks off and, uh, you know, I was walking in a mire in Bertrand, actually. And, uh, you know, the coach or the athletic director actually called me while I was walking through the mire through the frozen food section. It was like, hey, uh, are you, you know, still interested in this job? You know, we love your resume. You know, can you get down here to interview? Um, and I was like, you know, I, I guess maybe, you know, if this is serious. Um, so, you know, it, we talked it over and um, I actually got on a plane two days later and flew to San Antonio. And, you know, we had, in a, they have an event in Texas, it's called coaching school. So basically it's like the Michigan or it's like the Michigan clinic, but it's right before the season starts. So it's right at the end of July. And it is like all the fall sports get together and have kind of a big um, professional development opportunity for all the coaches in the state in fall sports. And they get together and have a great time. And I went down there and actually interviewed and you know, found an opportunity at Anderson High School in Austin, which is, you know, I kind of had parameters for what I was looking for, where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to a big high school and I wanted to go to, you know, a bigger city. I didn't want to go out to kind of the outskirts. I, I kind of wanted to start in a bigger city because I've never really lived in a big city. So Austin um, was kind of where I found myself at. Um, and I found myself in, in, you know, an awesome community, a great community um, with great kids and, 
um, living in Austin, Texas, you know, being a younger guy is, you know, it's a great time. And, um, you know, that was a great transition for me um, in having an opportunity to, you know, coach some big time football. Um, you know, we played in a 5A district. We had about 2,000, probably about 2,300 students at that school. And, um, you know, that was a great opportunity for me. And unfortunately, we, had, you know, had an interim head coach there. Um, and who got let go at the end of the season. So, you know, just like that, you know, I'd probably entered the high school game to kind of find a little bit more stability. And here I am finding myself kind of needing a job again. Um, and I ended, actually ended up uh, messaging one of the offense coordinators that we played against, uh, you know, just, hey, man, you know, if you hear anything, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm not sure our situation, because we were in limbo, right? We didn't have a head coach. We had hired one. So um, he actually also ran into me at a clinic um, in the off season and, and said, you know, you know, we talked, we chatted. And then actually on spring break, he called me um, and just was like, hey, are you interested in this job? You know, um, I interviewed for it. You know, I turned it down, but, you know, I recommended you to the head coach and he let me know that. And not maybe an hour later, my current head coach gave me a call and I drove up to Fort Worth, interviewed, um, you know, and, and got the job at North Crowley High School, where we probably have about two, you know, almost 3000 students who are 6A school in Fort Worth, kind of the the biggest area of football, the biggest hotbed is definitely in Dallas, Fort Worth area. Um, and when I tell you kind of the difference, I mean, it's night and day, even, you know, Austin, it's big time, you know, it, it's way different compared to Michigan, but then you go to Dallas and it is, it is way, way different. Like it, playing in some of the stadiums we play in, in the venues, the amount of support, the amount of people, it's just different. You're right. Like we get on our campus, we have a, you know, 70 yard indoor, you know, we have kind of our own stadium on campus, but then we also play in a $58 million stadium about a mile away from the school as well. So just kind of the resources involved, you know, is a little bit different. And, you know, the amount of kids uh, that we have in, in that area is booming, right? So there's a lot of people moving in and, you know, they expect our school to maybe grow up over 3,000 students. Um, you know, within a short amount of time. So, um, you know, I think that's big, you know, for, for us is just kind of the differences, um, you know, and there's a lot of differences that I can get into, but a lot of the differences is just the amount of people and the resources, um, you know, versus, you know, maybe where, for example, you know, Plymouth, Canton, Salem is one that I always reference, you know, it's three schools on the same campus in Texas, that would be one big high school. They would combine all of that. So there wouldn't be as many small schools. There would be a lot more bigger schools, um, you know, maybe split in half. Right? You know, you may take five small town schools and make it one bigger high school, I think, in Texas versus, you know, kind of what you get in Michigan. But you also get small schools in, in Texas. But you got to remember, obviously, you know, Texas is a significantly better, bigger state. Yeah. How many um, – oh, excuse me, Coach. Uh, but how many players do you have – on your roster and, and how many kids are like, do you have football tryouts then? And like, are there a lot of kids getting cut or are your teams just massive? So we rostered, no, we don't, we don't cut anybody. You know, we allow everybody to have an opportunity to play. We had about 75 on the varsity this year. Um, and then we had two JV and two freshman teams, which is pretty common with the school, our size. 
um, for those teams because we play a full schedule. We play 10 regular season games and, you know, our kids, you know, have an opportunity, uh, you know, maybe we make them a little bit smaller. Maybe those get split into about 25, 30 man teams, but that means everybody gets an opportunity to play. Um, you know, we, so we have to coach, you know, I don't necessarily have to coach all those games, but, you know, for us, you know, it's a grind throughout the week because when you have, you know, five games that you're getting ready for, um, you know, I pay a little bit more attention to the varsity, but, you know, for our assistants, they're really, you know, grinding throughout the week because not only do they have to prepare for, you know, their varsity responsibilities, a lot of these guys may be, you know, some varsity play callers where they have to go down. And I think that's great for coaches, you know, having the opportunity to call games and, um, you know, I think that helps advance kind of their knowledge and, you don't know what it's like to call plays until you've done it. You know, I think the, I think one thing the casual fan doesn't realize the most is in, you know, coach Barnes, I think you can speak to this is the lack of time that you have in between plays to call another one and -hmm. call a good one. I think that perspective gets lost upon fans that think we just stare at a clipboard and we have all the right answers. The amount of time it takes from when that whistle ends to when they spot the ball and you see personnel and change the formation and get the call in and motion and whatever, you know, the play clock's hitting zero more often than it is not. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. And, um, you know, for somebody that's new and never done it, I think it's important for them to do it on maybe a stage that is a little bit less consequential, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And doing all that while tuning out all the chaos that's going around or going on around you. Right. I mean, there's, Absolutely. Uh, that takes a lot of skill. Like don't, don't, uh, don't sell ourselves short there. So you uh, we're, we're talking to coach Eli Reinhardt, uh, offensive coordinator at North North Crowley high school uh, in the Fort Worth, Texas area. Coach, what is your, um, besides the offensive coordinator position, what, what is your role uh, at the school? Uh, what are some things you do there um, from that perspective? Yeah. So, my actual title is I'm the recruiting coordinator or the director of recruiting for North Crowley High School Athletics. So um, I'm not a classroom teacher currently. Uh, you know, I spend my time kind of um, supporting coaches and providing information for student athletes about kind of the recruiting process. Um, you know, we're actually going to have our first ever um, recruiting seminar here on Wednesday. I think we have, you know, a good turnout kind of already pre-registered and ready to go for Wednesday. And that's speaking to, you know, kind of our rising seniors or anybody in high school, you know, maybe besides our, you know, our outgoing seniors and then our middle school feeders as well. Um, so we expect a really good turnout, but, um, you know, as far as day-to-day goes, you know, I spend most of my time, you know, trying to provide anything that, you know, coaches may need questions, you know, reading transcripts, making sure kids have the things that they need, um, as well as trying to do, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, football recruiting stuff as well, trying to update, you know, our graphics, update our recruiting lists, you know, sending emails, um, just anything where we can kind of help our kids uh, get recruited and also provide information to our coaches um, to help their kids get recruited as well. Coach, with your experience at the college level, can you talk about um, kind of what you learned from a coaching standpoint as far as the work it takes and the detail um, and just the the daily grind that, that 
that coaching at that level, um, you know, ensues? Yes. Um, so when I first worked at, uh, when I first worked at Fair State University, I worked for, uh, you know, Coach Anise, um, but our offense coordinator at the time is Steve Casulo, who's actually the offense coordinator uh, at UMass right now. And uh, Coach Parker, the offensive line coach, and, uh, you know, Coach Smith, Coach Tesla Smith, one of the best D-line coaches in the country. Um, those guys really, like, helped me adjust to the game because, you know, I kind of was – you know, as far as football goes, was kind of born with a silver spoon in my mouth, you know, kind of got everything kind of right away and had, you know, the highest opportunity, you know, from the get go. And, you know, it was a reality check for me, kind of the amount of work, you know, not that I was not wanting to do the work, but the amount of time you had to spend the film breakdown, the extra responsibilities that you had to do, I think, uh, you gain a new level of appreciation for what those guys do when you kind of work in those situations. And then again, um, you know, I was fortunate to get some full-time jobs immediately after that. But when I went to central Michigan, I was kind of back in that same role and, you know, it kind of reminded me of similar situations. I remember being in my second week of spring ball and me and a couple of the other GAs are, you know, we were, we were in the office and look at the clock and it's like two in the morning and it was spring ball. Um, so some of those things you may never have to experience if you don't ever, you know, coach college football, because, you know, you have other stuff going on you have, you know, you know, other things outside, um, especially if you're a teacher. But I think for me personally, it's kind of built in kind of a work ethic, you know, the kind of the basic things that I need, the things that I want to do, the things that I don't necessarily ask anyone else to do because I know how much time it takes, but I know it's kind of part of the process as far as how in-depth and detailed our breakdowns are, you know, how detailed kind of everything, everything within the game, um, you know, in outside of the game is um, when you get to that side of it, you know, you may find yourself in a lot of different hats. And I think as a young coach, if you find yourself maybe back in the high school game or you have a, um, you know, a higher job at the college level, you kind of fall back on kind of those GA tendencies where you're willing to do the little stuff because that's all you're kind of used to, you know, filling up, you know, the filling up the washer and the dryer, you know, hanging up clothes, passing out uniforms, you know, ordering food after the game, like some of that stuff is just kind of routine and it's kind of, um, you know, what you're used to because that's what you grew up doing. So I think I mentioned this on one of our, our episodes before in the early 2000s, I had a chance to, uh, for a year, I worked as a student assistant at Wayne State in Detroit. And um, at that time it was, you know, similar to you in terms of I met some great people that I still talk to to this day, but that was one of those aha moments like, all right, man, like you really want to do this college football thing. Like yeah. you, you have to be all in. Right. And, uh, that's, um, you know, that was a decision I had to make back at that time. And it's funny you talk about laundry and whatnot, stuff like that. I remember my most tedious role was every week. Um, well, two most tedious roles were every week I'd be in charge of making the defensive wristbands for our defensive guys. And so I'd be like, you know, typing on the computer, printing them out, cutting them and doing all that. Like not the glorious stuff that you think about when you're coaching college yeah. football or involved in college football. Right. And then the other one, I remember this was all, you know, pre huddle and pre digital stuff. So there were like stacks and stacks of VHS tapes. And it was my job to make the defensive highlight tape every week. And I had two VCRs, and I don't, you're a young guy. You might not remember this, but I remember yeah. I'd have to push pause on the one and record on the other one. And that, it was 
it was insane. But uh, I mean, that was a life. I mean, it was worth it, uh, you know, with the relationships that I made and the people that I met. But uh, like you said, it's a grind. I mean, you, you if that's if that's what the life you want, that's great. I mean, you're just going to work. Yeah. So, Coach Reinhardt, how do you think um, from going to uh, coaching with your dad um, at Montrose, then going into the college game for, um, you know, uh, for that experience, how do you think that has prepared you for your role now um, going back to the the high school game, but, you know, maybe on a grander scale because it's in the, um, you know, the, the hotbed of high school football than, uh, you know, the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Yeah, I think, um, you know, working for my dad, you know, obviously I learned a ton from him. Honestly, a lot of it was just kind of learning from example, kind of how he carried himself. I think one of the things I picked up from him, you know, was just the relationships he was able to have with his players. You know, obviously when you're in a place for a long time, you get to see a lot of people, you know, grow up and, you know, become, you know, young men and kind of become, you know, middle-aged men when you're there as long as he's been there. And the amount of people that come up to him and have relationships and have memories and, you know, think of memories on the field, you know, that's something that I've always taken in as a coach because especially at the high school level, you're going to have to have great relationships with your kids if you want to be successful. And um, that's something I always try to pride myself on is, you know, developing relationships with your players, um, you know, is really a big focal point of my dad's program. And it is probably one of the ultimate focal points of Coach Anissa's program. The amount of buy-in and investment he gets from the kids that are maybe, you know, one or two year players for him, you know, is unbelievable in the way he's able to year in and year out compete. Um, you know, it's crazy because you see other teams that maybe take some transfers or take some new guys, freshmen and integrate them, you know, maybe they don't have the right success year to year, but coach Nice finds a way to do it. And I, that's all starts with his relationships, the way he's able to get the buy-in from the kids and the way that he's able to structure his team and his culture. Um, you know, that's what makes him successful. And that's kind of a lot of what's carried me down here and, kind of where, you know, relationship first, Uh, you know, I've worked in two completely different schools down here in Texas. I worked at Anderson High School in Austin, where, you know, the, you know, to buy a house near the school, you know, you were thinking north of about $600,000 versus working at North Crowley, where, you know, we may be about 75% free reduced lunch. You know, it's a little bit different of a circumstance, a little bit different of a scenario, demographic, all of that stuff. But I think one thing is always, you know, constant is that kids want to be loved. Kids want to be coached. Kids want to, you know, have great relationships with you as coaches. And that's something that I learned from, you know, both my dad and coach niece. And those things have carried me, you know, outside all the scheme and everything like that. You know, those things have carried me a ton and, you know, allowed me to get where I am today. Yeah. We we spoke about the veer, you, you know, what other offensive uh, concepts have you picked up uh, throughout your coaching career that, that you're trying to instill now? Yeah, um, you know, Montrose definitely was kind of option principles. Um, you know, we were always kind of option based and whatever we did, whether we were in the shotgun or under center. So that was something that I took from there. Um, you know, from Coach Nice, you know, power read, quarterback run are, you know, two, you know, staples in what he does. And those things, you know, as much as 
you know, people want to get super complicated with offense. Some of the most basic plays are just some of the day one install coach and these, you know, um, you know, spring ball plays are just kind of the, the things you don't think about. You practice so much that, you know, it just becomes, uh, you know, just, you know, muscle memory for you when you get out to the game. So that kind of stuff with coach and these, and then, um, you know, working for uh, working with coach Burton, at Saginaw Valley, who was our offensive line coach, who was the offense coordinator at Alma College, you know, just understanding of the zone game. I think I understood more of kind of gap game and, and veer and things like that. And he kind of opened my mind and opened my world to kind of what the zone life was like and, um, you know, the importance of, you know, learning how to mic point runs, learning how to go through all of the different progressions of teaching that and understanding. I think that year more than anything as a play caller, you know, as a skill play caller, you know, I had to learn a lot about the offensive line play. And I feel really good about maybe telling you exactly, you know, where people need to go. But, you know, I think, you know, part of that is an offensive line coaches is kind of how they get there. Um, you know, we're going to talk to them a lot about where they need to go. Um, you know, so Coach Burton has been huge in my development as a coach. And then also, you know, at Central Michigan, like I got a very – good dose of pass game and an understanding of kind of, you know, the way they set up their concepts and the way that they call, you know, formations and call their motions. Like we kind of use a good variation of kind of what they do. Um, you know, what, how they call the formations, how they call the shifts, motions, concepts, families, like protections, a lot of that stuff is kind of married up to what our system is today. Um, and I think that's, you know, a big thing, like we talked about before, you know, going outside of what you're comfortable with can kind of open your mind to different kind of experiences or perspectives um, that may give you a better overall teaching system. Like I, I open every clinic that I speak at with, you know, hey, I'm coming to speak at this clinic. I may not be, um, you know, you may sit there and not like a single thing that we do, but maybe there's just one little thing that you like that, you know, the way that I communicated or the way that we teach it, you can take that back to your kids and communicate that. And maybe that helps you get just a little bit better. I think that's important for coaches to know, like, you know, especially when they go to clinics and one that's as good as the Michigan one, um, you're not looking to go there to take an entire offense. Maybe you're just going there to take a few coaching points, uh, you know, a few teaching progressions that may help your kids out or, you know, some, you know, specific calls. But, um, you know, that's kind of the perspective that I take with a lot of the things is you can learn something from so many different systems and kind of take and, and see what fits to what you do offensively. That's excellent. All right. All right, coach. I, I think we can um, uh, wind it down here. Coach Reinhardt, this is awesome. You know, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, you know, I, I'd love to talk to you again more. Just uh, yeah. just go back and forth about a little offensive football or, or program stuff. And um, absolutely, you know, we're always looking to learn more. And like I said, the, the purpose of this podcast, we're trying to grow the game and, um, you know, build relationships with other coaches too and network a little bit. So thank you very much for being here. Um, a reminder to our listeners, uh, this is uh, Inside the Coaching Office. Our Twitter handle is simply um, at Inside the Office. Um, if you have or know anybody who would be a great guest, please let us know. Or if you have any show ideas or topics you'd like us to discuss, uh, feel free to send us a direct message on Twitter. Uh, simplest way to do it. And um, 
uh, again, we appreciate, uh, you know, the support from the Michigan High School Football Coaches Association and Rogers Athletics is a big supporter of of what we do in the state. And uh, coach, if you've had a chance to listen to our shows before, you know, you know what we kind of end with um, what, what we like to ask our guests is, uh, you know, is there a really cool uh, tradition uh, that is unique to you? um that that you wouldn't mind sharing with everybody um you know it can be as simple as a you know a break it down what's a maybe a chant that you do uh, you know a tradition maybe you do the night before a game or in the summertime if you could coach um just kind of share with us what what that tradition might be uh you know what you know i kind of have two that you know or probably three that are mainstays for me and have been for a while um, you know, one of them is, you know, kind of as simple and as ridiculous as, you know, weekly, I'm going to try to eat the same things on game day, you know, whether, you know, this fall actually was, uh, was barbecue. Uh, I went to probably about six or seven different barbecue spots with our head coach or by myself. And I always had to have some sort of ribs before the game uh, on game day. You know, we played in Alpat, we played a team in West Texas, which was about five and a half hours away. Um, we were playing a team from El Paso way out West. And I went the night before and bought ribs and put them in the fridge and then ate them cold in the car the day of the game to kind of keep the tradition alive with, um, you know, what I was doing. And it's been different every year. It may be a certain fast food that I have to have every single day or, you know, game day or, um, you know, whatever it is. And then one thing, you know, that I always like to do that is a really big, like kind of a pet peeve or kind of like a, you know, a, a tradition or something that I feel like I have to do or things aren't right um, is I have to print my own call sheet and I have to, I don't laminate them anymore. Um, but I, you know, I have to have it fit exactly uh, you know, the way I want it to fit. So I'm literally taking scissors and cutting it in dimensions exactly the way it needs to be the way I want it. And if I mess up, I'm reprinting another one and then starting over because it's got to fold perfectly together. So there's no kind of excess on either side. And then once I get that right, you know, I feel good to go. And you sound you know, like then, a GA. That sounds like a perfect yeah. GA right there, right? Yeah. It's probably <laughs> been something, you know, I'm repressing that I've been yelled at in the past <laughs> for. Um, but the last one is just simply, um, you know, after, you know, my grandparents had passed away a few years ago now, um, you know, I, just before every game, you know, right before kickoff, you know, take a knee wherever I'm at and kind of say a prayer to them because, uh, you know, they're, they were huge influences on my life and they were very important in the person I became today. And they were always so, you know, excited to hear about the games and so excited to, uh, um, you know, hear about everything going on, especially the football side, you know, obviously, you know, their son was my dad and, um, you know, he had been talking to them, you know, we'd go up there every Saturday morning and, you know, I'd sit and have a Coca-Cola and a Reese's cup. And, you know, we talk about the game and, you know, my dad would eat, you know, whatever was in the fridge that he could find and we would just hang out. So that's kind of something I think will always stay with me. It's kind of, um, an homage to them and, and just kind of a salute, you know, and, you know, always kind of let them know I'm thinking of them and, you know, hopefully, you know, they're hearing those prayers up there as well. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Coach, what's what's uh what is your Twitter handle that uh, you'd be willing to share with the listeners if they want to you know reach out and, and build that connection with you? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is Coach E Reinhardt R E I N H A R T, um, and I'm you know on Twitter, whatever LinkedIn, you know all those things. Um, and then, you know, shoot me a message or whatever you need. And especially Michigan guys, like if you guys want film or anything like that, like, you know, I'd be more than willing to share some stuff. I've shared, you know, our presentations and things, especially now that I moved out, you know, I had to be a little bit more careful. And, you know, my dad was in the state making sure it wasn't going to be a common opponent or anything like that. But now that we kind of have our own offense, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, if coaches reach out, you know, I wouldn't mind sending them some, you know, film clinics, you know, whatever, whatever I can do to help you guys, you know, practice plans is something I've been sharing with some coaches of kind of how we do things and structure practice. And, um, you know, I'm always willing to talk football and, you know, this has been an awesome opportunity for me to um, sit down with you guys and kind of just talk through the coaching journey. You know, I think it's, it's great what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, this platform is a great opportunity for coaches to, to kind of get involved and, um, you know, like you said, grow the game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right, fellas, it's been another good one. Uh, Coach Reinhardt, just want to thank you again for joining us today. Uh, it's, it's been great talking football with you. Uh, best of luck um, coming up next season. And um, we'll be looking for you under those Friday night lights, man, when we think about that crazy Texas high school football that's going on down there. Uh, all right, Coach Barnes, um, we, we did it again, buddy. That was another good one. We appreciate yeah. it, Coach Reinhardt. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Let me know if you guys need anything. And, you know, Coach Barnes, let me know if you guys, you know, need anything football-wise or want to see any film or anything. And, you know, we'll be practicing. I mean, we practice four days a week right now. So, um, you know, anything that we're trying or experimenting with, um, you know, I like to share it and get some insight, you know, or I'm going to put something out probably on Twitter tomorrow. Uh, I definitely want to get some insight from some quarterback coaches and, you know, you know, obviously, and we're doing a lot of seven on seven, right? I imagine you guys will get geared up in that in the spring. So, you know, for me, um, we put basically like a large hula hoop almost for the quarterback standing deep enough where he can get a drop, but small enough where he can't drift in the pocket without it being kind of a noticeable, you know, feeling, and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, minute or not, uh, you know, I think it's helping quarterbacks that just sit back there and seven on seven and, you know, don't go through a real drop and, you know, don't do, don't do all those things. So I'm going to put that on Twitter probably tomorrow um, and get a little bit more feedback on that and see what coaches think. Hopefully I don't become viral for, um, you know, a bad idea. <laughs> fine no that's awesome no that's awesome all right well ladies and gentlemen this has been another episode of inside the coach's office good night